Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to episode 105 of Double Hot Beat, where we take the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. We have been talking a lot recently with some of our guests and amongst ourselves about cans. Lots of cans. Lots of cans and aluminum in our in our conversations recently. So we thought we would delve into the packaging process of homebrewing beers. We're just going to jump right into this week's topic. <laughs> yeah, packaging beer on a homebrewing level, as well as featuring some of the hottest new items available to homebrewers out there. And even craft breweries are using these as well, uh, such as the October Can Seamer and the Duo Filler Can Easy. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about how do you package your beer effectively? And also James got some new gadgets. So we'll talk about those and what he thinks so far. And this also Are you surprised that there's new gadgets? Not surprised <laughs> whatsoever. But it was also interesting because we were recently at one of our favorite craft breweries near us, Greater Good Imperials, and they recently released a new beer, V, in 19.2 ounce cans, mm-hmm. which we have not seen a craft brewery do this in a long time. So it kind of got us thinking of different can sizes, why certain breweries might package in different, you know, tall boys, like as they're called, the Mm 19.2 ounce, where I'm just used to seeing them at like liquor stores and, you know, gas stations and grocery stores just for like a quick, like if you want one can or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I was just amazed that, you know, you'd have an 8% beer in a 19.2 ounce. It's a lot. So it's a a heavy commitment. It is. It's a big commitment. It's a stay in kind of beer. But I regress. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought, obviously, you all saw this coming, that a little bit of history is apropos before jumping into apropos. the packaging of homebrews. And I, it's just, it's quick. Don't, everyone pan, don't panic. That's it's what she said. Gonna be, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be a whole thing. It's not the whole episode. But I just thought I would share that the canning process or canning beer really made its debut on January 24th, 1935. You know, an anniversary that just rolled around. And it was in partnership with the American Can Company, the Gottfried Kruger Brewing Company, which I, I'm really curious if it's any relation to like Kruger's grocery stores. They delivered 2,000 cans of Kruger's finest ale and their cream ale in Richmond, Virginia. And the response was actually pretty good. Within three months, over 80% of distributors were handling their canned beer and they were just eating into the market share of all the, the big three national brewers. And so competition after they released their cans in 1935, followed, and they all kind of were like, oh, this is a good idea. As we've talked about in the past, you know, the bottling process can let in some light, which can taint the beer, leading to bad beer. So just kind of saw the benefit of doing that, and over 200 million cans had been produced and sold. And that is uh, courtesy of history.com. So just thought that was Mm -hmm. fun. And also, I know I just mentioned bottles, but bottling itself actually went back to ancient Mesopotamia. So a lot longer, which makes sense because glass was obviously readily available as opposed to manufacturing aluminum. So just thought I would throw that in there as a little tidbit. Uh, Some of the big beer companies actually did try to introduce cans into the market. And I think it was the 1920s or it was was pre-prohibition. And then prohibition happened and it didn't take off. So... Once prohibition ended, the Kruger Brewing Company saw a opportunity to grasp onto, and that's how canning really got its start. 
And I think it really also has to do with like the food industry as well of the introduction of new ways of packaging, the real introduction of brands. So, you know, Mm -hmm. before everything was kind of in loose jars and it was really hard for the consumers to know what they were getting, know that it was quality. And then the whole brand market blew up and, Mm -hmm. you know, people liked their favorite brands. They knew that they could trust whatever food they were eating. And same with beverages as well. I think branding is a huge part of that. And it also, like you said, Shannon, it helps reduce oxidation of the beer. It keeps the beer fresher than the bottles. Mm -hmm. And like you hit on the number one reason why I think the boom in cans really took off was the storage and the shelf space available both in stores as well as in the breweries themselves. If any of you have gone to a craft brewery, you've probably seen those pallets and pallets of cans stacked Mm -hmm. up. So they're very lightweight. They're easy to stack. So you can store way more cans in your area than you would bottles. Yeah. And it's like if they fall over, well, then you just got to pick them up. If a if a pallet of bottles oh, falls man. over, yeah, there's probably a bigger mess bigger to deal class. with and lost products. So I also want to say that I was Googling pictures of historic beer cans and they look like soup cans. Exactly. It looks like Campbell it's- soup. You can buy on the shelf. It's, and I'm like, how did they With the open little ridges that? on the yeah. side of the can, the ridge. Yeah. And it, I, I was just picturing a lot of cut lips and things like oh, that. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I guess, I mean, I'm sure I, there wasn't a lot of pictures at the top. So I'm assuming there was a pop top of some sort and you were not just like using a can opener to get your beer open and then cutting your lips. But and again, there's <laughs> a learning curve, right, too. So if you're used to drinking out of bottles and you know how to open a bottle, you're going to have to have that little bit of a learning curve the first time you have to pop open a tab or the pull tabs of those kind of cans. Mm-hmm. So it's how do you educate the consumer as well of how to use it? And it comes back to too with beer. Like how if you can't see what the beer looks like, that's a whole different experience. Bottles, you can see whether it's hazy. You can see if it's a dark beer, even if it's in an amber bottle. Honestly, can, I guess kind of. You can you still kind of see what the beer is going to look like. Tell in it's, cans, a it's kind shape, of a nice mystery. You don't know what's going <laughs> to be in that can. It's like those airheads, mystery airheads. And as a home brewer, I started out with bottling. I think most Mm -hmm. home brewers out there, that's how they got their start. So we're going to talk a little bit about bottling as well for those home brewers out there that might not be able to dive into canning yet, as well as kind of the similarities and differences between the two. Yep. And I know, Shannon, you've bottled quite a bit of beer. Yeah, I've mostly bottled. I help you can sometimes, but I've bottled a good amount, I'd say. Yeah. And again, when we say packaging your beer... There's several different options out there. There's bottles, there's cans, there's kegs. There's also growlers or squealers. Crowlers. Crowlers. <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of different options that both you as a home brewer and craft brewers can use to kind of sell their their brand or to share their beer with people. So Shannon, so why why <laughs> what do you think would be like we kind of touched on it a little bit already, but like some of the considerations for packaging your beer that the home brewer should probably think about before they get into it. Well, I definitely think storage space because I know for us, you know, we've had big boxes of cans laying around in the basement and just thinking about before and after. So where are you going to store the containers once they arrive before you've actually put beer in them? And then where are you going to store them afterwards? And sometimes if you're doing bottles, especially, you can't leave them just in the middle of your living room where they might be exposed to elements. So you have to really consider, do I have the space to store these things? If you're going the bottle can route, if you're going the keg route, that could be a consideration. If you do have less space, maybe getting a kegerator or having a keg or something something like that, that's going to take up a little bit less space than boxes and boxes of bottles and cans. 
Yeah, and I just remember those days of having the cardboard boxes stacked up of the bottles and they mm -hmm. were just so heavy and just they do take up more space in that big box that you can fit 200 cans yeah. and that we would probably only be able to fit you know a couple cases of bottles in our closet in our old house so again yeah space is a huge consideration also whether you're planning to force carbonate mm -hmm. or force carbonate meaning via your co2 tank yeah. and just pressurizing the tanks, that's yeah. was my go-to, so you don't have to worry about filling mm -hmm. different bottles or cans. But if you're going to naturally carbonate, bottles is a great way of doing yeah. that. Whether you're adding sugar to it, table sugar to your wort, or you're going to add your carb tablets yeah. into the bottles like we've done mm -hmm. time and time again. So that's one consideration to have. I'd say budget is also another consideration. Yeah. They're pretty close now, but I know with the aluminum shortage, the spike in can aluminum can cost did go up significantly. So you have to keep that in mind as well. Again, with budget for canning, you're going to need to have a, a seamer device, which is basically this device that yep. you're going to get the aluminum cans, which have lids separate. And then you're going to need that device to basically seam on those lids after you've filled the can with beer to be able to give that seal and make sure it's a closed container versus a bottle where all you need is a little capper which is a manual mm -hmm. capper that you just crimp on the the bottle yeah. tops and you're ready to go so there's a big price difference getting started whether you're going cans versus bottles but once you have that equipment your cost is going to stabilize over time yeah but also thinking about kegging if you i feel like that's almost the more economical option because once you buy the kegs and the lines then you can wash and reuse those and as opposed to the cans and bottles for you to keep buying the actual vessel that the beer is going in. Yeah, so that's a great point so. too of sustainability and just being eco-friendly mm -hmm. and the ability of bottles even. I used to ask for the bottles back from, you know, the people yeah, that Yeah, but I then you can't, it's harder to, to put labels on and all that hard, stuff if you're you, trying to do that. Yeah, like I wouldn't label them. It's more of a, you'd label the cap or you'd have then reusable, some, like, reusable yeah. stickers where they just basically you can put what on the bottle but then you can wipe it off after it's mm -hmm. done many uh, sticker companies now have that ability or they also have reusable stickers where they you can actually still peel them yeah off i think the stomp bottles. stickers has that yeah. yeah and like you said like cans you can't reuse once you have your beer in yeah. there it's done you you can recycle of course the aluminum mm -hmm. one that's done recycle the cans so you can recycle that way however you um, won't be able to reuse those yeah. cans. Bottles you could reuse if people don't make keep them around nasty for, <laughs> you know, or put detergent in them. So again, if you're out there and you're receiving bottles from a home brewer, just rinse them out with some warm water. Don't save the caps, toss those away. And same with growlers too. Make sure you just rinse those with warm water. Don't put your liquid detergent in there because then you will have beer that tastes just like the detergent of choice. Well, I think that's something that, you also as a home brewer, when you're giving out your bottles, if you do want them back, just give a little instruction. Be like, hey, feel free to return these when you're done. Just wash them out with warm water. No need to do anything else. It also goes back to working in the tap room of we would fill growlers and getting some of those back where they were just so disgusting or they would, you could smell the detergent in them. And then we'd have to be, you know, either re-rinse it for them or the growler at that point would just be unusable mm -hmm. and again i'm kind of on the side of not using growlers anymore at craft breweries because of that reason and because you're filling them from the bottom up using your little um, adapter thing but that's a whole nother story <laughs> yeah. for a whole nother time <laughs> so yes reusability is huge 
And then, as we mentioned, your CO2 carbonation method is a consideration that you need to make before you make that choice. Yeah, and again, so. you can split batches. You don't have to make that commitment. We always say commitment, and people <laughs> think it's the funniest word ever, but that's really what it is. If you put all five gallons of your batch or 10 gallons into kegs, you can still bottle or can off that keg, which is something that now I'm doing more and more that, you know, it's kind of a mm -hmm. two-step process. But if you do like to have it on tap, but you have yes. friends uh, or family that really like that beer and they're like, hey, can you, you know, can me up a couple? Mm -hmm. Do you want to go and brew a whole nother batch just a can? Not necessarily, because then you're going to need the refrigerator space to store those cans mm -hmm. to be able to do it. So that's kind of a nice go-between of the reusability aspect and being able to share with others. Yeah. Okay. So we got budget, storage, CO2. Those are your, your three Hell yeah. aspects. Okay. So when you decided how you're going to package your beer, you have to actually get the beer into the packaging. So yeah, you have to get it in there. That's what she said. I beat you to it. Shannon was <laughs> just about to say it and I beat her to it. Methods to fill your packaged beer. So there's different techniques you can use. So we're going to start with bottling. So bottling, you can use an auto siphon technique, which uses gravity and a bottling wand. So mm -hmm. this is one of the simplest, easiest ways of really packaging your beer, of using bottles. So you'd have your empty bottle, you'd have it maybe in your bottling bucket. So you'd ferment it in whatever fermenting vessel you have, whether it's a stainless steel tank or whether you have it in just plastic buckets and then they usually say in your homebrew recipes if you get them from supply shops and kits is it says you're going to need your secondary so by secondary it just means you're going to use gravity to take that siphon and you basically are just taking the beer out of one container and putting it into another mm -hmm. so from your first fermenting bucket you're going to basically use this auto siphon wand to get it to, using gravity to go from that first bucket into your second bucket, which then will have a spigot on the bottom with your tubing with the wand attached. And okay, by this, so like a waterfall type process. Yeah, kind of like a waterfall. Okay. Exa exactly. That's a great, great visual to have. And you're basically, this wand works by when you press down at the bottom of your bottle, it's going to slowly fill the bottle going as long as you keep that little, there's like a little bit of a spring at the end mm -hmm. of that. As long as you keep that pressed on the bottom of the bottle, it's going to start filling your bottle from the bottom up. And that's really displacing all that air that's in that bottle. And you're going to get up all the way up about to the, where the neck starts. You're going to take that wand up so you don't end up overfilling because again, you're going to need that space for that natural carbonation to yep. take place. And mm -hmm. then you're either going to add your carb tablets based on, you know, usually it says like three to five. It's yeah. all depending on your beer style and then cap it. Or if you've already added your sugar water mix to your wort, basically to make that yep. natural carbonation happen, that magic, yeah, you would be all set. You wouldn't have to add anything. You just cap it and there should be a little headspace. So that neck of the bottle, you'll see some headspace, meaning there's just no liquid there. Some room, room to grow. Some room to grow yeah. and you'll be good to go. And you just put those away for like two weeks roughly and uh, you'll be good to go. And then you refrigerate it and ready to drink. Yeah, I think I've used this method with every every time I bottle. I think we do this. And I think 90% nine, yeah. of the recipes out there that come with kits are going to, that's how it's going to tell you how to do it. I did it with beer, cider, and wine. We've used this with, so multi-purpose. And with the Northern Brewer kits that you get, we've been using the fizz drops. We've used those, which is basically just, hardened like sugar tablets yeah. pretty much Look like little like lemon drop candies yeah. and those get tricky because you don't have to like use your thumb and like push them down yeah, the like neck of your bottle them. that was like 
always Shannon's best favorite part. <laughs> Crunching candies into bottles. Yeah, no, it was your, your least favorite. And it's don't, just, it's hard. And don't put them in. Here's another pro tip. Don't put those, if you're going to use those fizz drops or those little, they look almost like lozenges. Don't put those yeah. into the bottles before you start filling it with, with beer. We've tried that when we started out as well. And it's just not going to work yeah, out for definitely you. Definitely best to just do it at, after you've filled, for sure. Absolutely. And someone might be asking, well, what are they going to need if they're going to bottle? Yep. So Shannon, like you're a pro at keeping things organized. <laughs> the bare minimum of what you're going to need, not my list of what you would need. What would you say we would need? What do you mean, not your list? My list is usually has a couple items that are nice to have or oh, okay. make it improve your situation, but might not be what the you know a homebrewer starting okay. out might need. So are you just like quizzing me on what I think we need to bottle? I'm just seeing if, you know, our list okay, align okay. here. Well, you need bottles. Absolutely. You need caps. Absolutely. You need the capping machine, like the little... The capper. The crap, yeah. The crap, <laughs> the crapper. Cap, capper, whatever. The capper. But it's you like a little red like device, or they have yeah. like, the really fancy ones that you think are going to be awesome, where it's got the big pull lever, and it's like a taller item. Don't get that. Stay with the tried and true, the little red capper mm-hmm. by far. You need your carbonation method, your tablets or your sugar, whatever you're using. You need the wand we just talked about. You need some tubing. Absolutely. You need some sanitizer because you don't want anything else growing in that bottle. You need, I guess, maybe post-bottling or pre-bottling, you need to sanitize the bottles as well. So you need some somewhere to do that, whether it's your sink or And then labels whatever. if you want to labels, labels, yeah. Did I match your list, James? You match my list. Okay, there was nothing else. I'd say... In, from a uh, personal experience, also having somewhere to, because they're going to get wet at some point, having a good spot where you can let them dry out with multiple towels. And don't be alarmed if when you turn the bottle over to kind of drain out the excess water and sanitizer, if there's like, I've had a couple of times where they like start like fizzing at me. And I think the first time it happened, I was like, what is going on? But it's just the, like, well, because I use hot water, so the hot water's like trying to escape the bottle and the towels in the way. So it's not. Oh, when you're with rinsing me. them. Before yeah, before I put, bottle. Okay, I'm like rinsing. Right. <laughs> James is like afterwards. I was like, oh, it doing? was fizzing when you put No, I'm like, but I'm doing, sanitizing Shannon? the bottles prior. I usually turn them upside down at first just to get everything drained out. And sometimes if you use hot water, mix with the sanitizer, just fizzes up a little bit. So don't be alarmed. Just uh, that's my pro tip. And, and that leads to one other item on my list. It's a drying rack or a like they have these drying rack trees to specifically mm-hmm. for bottles. So you could just after you've sanitized your bottles and put them through hot water or however you want to sanitize your bottles, you can then have them dry on this rack. And when you basically put the necks of the bottles going into this rack, it kind of looks like a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. So we used to use that every time we do it. But if you have like a regular, it just rack, doesn't hold a lot. So yeah, it know. just doesn't hold that many but just something to keep in mind something to keep in mind and all those items too you should already have you should already have your star san or a san equivalent sanitizer because sanitization when you're fermenting is everything and same with when you're packaging you just got to think of it basically after you're doing your boil of after that point on you want to mm-hmm. make sure you control you don't want anyone spitting in your bottling bucket because a lot of these gravity methods you just have to suck on the end of the tube to get it started and then you would let the liquid go into that secondary bucket so just yep we all know, we there. all know your personal trauma james we all know that my <laughs> first brew day experience yes well, we won't revisit we won't revisit yes okay what other methods have we got for filling the vessel okay. i just want to say the word vessel a lot 
Your next option, easiest option, as Shannon mentioned, kegging. That's just simply, you would just take your take your beer from your fermenter and just use some tubing and go right into your, your keg. And again, we're talking not having your fermenter pressurized. I say this is we're all just force carbon. This is all just by natural. Keg. Yeah, this is all without having a pressurized vessel. Mm-hmm. Again, if you're at that point in your home brewing where you are fermenting under pressure, you just have to be very careful with how you are packaging your beer and making sure that you're safe around the pressure. We're not going to dive into pressure brewing on this episode, but um, again, something to clarify there for the folks listening. So again, from kegs, you just basically need your sanitized keg. You sanitize it and you just basically bring your beer from your wherever your bucket Mm -hmm. or your fermenter, put it right in. You can just have it through the open center port of your corny keg. Or if you are very concerned with oxidation, you can basically do it closed, transfer. But again, I've never had a contamination, knock on wood, uh, to date (laughs) of just doing it open and I've never had any issues with oxidation. So a lot of the forums out there, if you talk about doing it that way, you're going to get some hate. But again, simple. If it works for you, who cares what other people think? And as long as the beer comes out good. And, you know, there's pros and cons to doing each way. So, all right. Ke- after kegging, we have da, 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 my favorite canning. Are you going to, do you want to go to this? Because you're just so excited about I'm, I was just so excited to <laughs> new, use my new October can seamer, the SL1 home brewer. And so I guess... Should I just start talking about it? I feel like I'm too excited not to. But I mean, do you want me to just do a quick like? Do, you have, yeah, for those do your quick overview first because otherwise my excitement don't is know going what to, they'll need to can if you're newer to home brewing and packaging. Or people will be like, "Wait, you're canning using a month of the year? What October? Oh, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? It takes you a, does not take you a month to can beer, especially now. But just quickly, if you do want to can up your beer, you're obviously going to need some cans. And there's a variety of different companies out there where you and can purchase different those sizes, cans. So you have to decide there's whether sizes, you correct. want 12 ounce, 16 ounce, yep. or gonna, cannular does 16.9 ounce, yes. some odd canning, which we'll talk about. You, Yep. So you need the cans. You'll need those with tops usually. usually I, I think everything comes with tops. Usually I don't think they when sell you buy the cans, tops. it'll come with yeah. the tops as well. You'll need a can seamer and we'll kind of get into it a little bit, but check when you purchase a can seamer, what size cans you can seam on that can seamer and which before ones you, you can buy Absolutely. cans. So check, buy the can seamer, check what size cans are compatible and then buy those cans. And then you will just need similar, you know, similar ways to fill up the cans and sanitizer again, the keg CO2, because when you're canning, you will need to have beer that is already carbonated because yes. you cannot I believe there is a way you there, can it's, do it's it. It's a lot harder. I would never I don't think I would even try just to yeah. having it go the other way. I think it's it's a lot easier and faster to just have a pre carbonated keg ready to go. Have the to beer fill, carbonated. And you just fill right from that keg into your into your cans. But if any homebrewers out there have put Unf- yeah, know, if you've done it, if you've done natural carbonation beer. in a can, let us know. Direct feel free us. to tell us how you did it and what the best method is that you found. Because I feel like doing it in a can is just a lot more risky because the aluminum is so much more flexible than a bottle is. And the bottle, because it's so rigid, when that carbonation starts to happen, it's forcing, you know, one way. I just feel like the cans might just explode out. A little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't I would know. get nervous about it. But if you have done it, let us know. I would just be nervous that you just have flat beer and you would never know whether it was because of your canning process or 
whether you yeah. had a bad seam or if there was something, if your beer didn't have enough fermentables to really, mm-hmm. like if it wasn't even fermented, I mean, like, again, you want fermented beer at this point, it's done fermenting mm-hmm. and you're just either naturally like you want carbon- it ready to go. You ready. Want it ready. You want it carbonated. Move in ready. That's what you want your beer to be. <laughs> Well, and like I, like I said, the filling techniques are similar to if you're going to be bottling. At recently, until recently, we were filling right from our tap, from our bar. We would and just fill right from yeah. the tap and then do a little. Yeah, so if you have a keg already, you can fill just off your tap. But again, there is some limitations with doing that. Your shelf life is mm-hmm. going to be significantly lower than if you do it from either of these other methods that we're going to talk about. Because basically it's going to last the same as a growler mm-hmm. or a crowler. You know, you're going to have, I would never give it more than like two to three days that you're going to have. Yeah. And some people say a week, but again, I've found that, you know, giving people about two to three day window is probably your best bet. If you're filling directly from a tap without using some tool to help you purge your can and help retain that co2 as you're putting it into the package and again this should be called like james's new year's resolution because it's it's not even the end of january and i'm already <laughs> like almost achieving you're my really goal. making moves this year you're on a roll then in february will come and you'll just disappear i'm like dry january uh-uh not happening for james i'm doing packaging january okay Woo. well tell us what you have acquired what do you want what do you want to do first james you so you know me with all my research and we had previously the first version of the cannular which is a brand for a can seamer i think it's off of more beer where i got it again we got that in 2019 it was a manual can seamer meaning it's not a push button and it basically does you know, does the work for you. It's you have to make the motions of seaming the can with a mm-hmm. handle without getting too in depth of how the machines actually work. I'm just going to go into very basic here. That ended up not working for us anymore. It was very labor intensive, more than I think I, it should well, be. I feel like when you say labor intensive, people are picturing like, <laughs> like it's just so like there's a lot to do and a lot no, like yeah. it, the setup was easy. It's not hard. It was an it's easy just setup. The, I think you're saying the force required to operate it is a little bit more than you would like like it was you really had to push on the handle yeah to get it to seem correctly like not like it was hard to move it was just you had to really like put some some body weight into it to get it to actually seem properly yeah so is what you're saying it's not like oh it's gonna take forever to assemble it and no no yeah every time you go to use it it's a whole process no it was just it's the same basic no again it did its job it did its job for a couple years and again the price almost five yeah almost almost five five. so and again it could just very well need an adjustment other than the adjustments that i tried to do with it to get Mm -hmm. it to go ahead and seam but for me like i'm like you know what it's time to move on to something else time for an upgrade time for an upgrade and again with that company when you get your cans they come in a 16 point i think nine ounce for the 16 Mm -hmm. ounce cans it's a little bit off of a regular just 16 ounce can so keep that in mind if you are making a switch um, from cannular to the october brand um, seamer because those cans will no longer be able to be used with that seamer so as shannon mentioned earlier in the episode just be mindful of when you get a canning machine canning seamer machine that you're being mindful of what chuck does it come with? So that's a term that comes with, it's just basically a piece that goes on the bottom that basically the can will sit on mm-hmm. and basically either raises the level of the can or lowers it so that you could fit the different size cans using the same machine, which is great. I mean, mm-hmm. I just love that about the canning machines that they have now. So many options that you can get one that's 
So example, the SL1 can seamer from October, the one I chose was the one that has the 12 ounce or the 16 ounce. So I figured, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to buy a whole new machine. And again, they sell accessories to basically if you want to do a crowler or mm-hmm. you want to do the slim cans, but those can get pricey, especially from October. So you just want to be mindful of where, where do I see myself packaging? What sizes am I going to want to yeah. do? So I'm going to talk, we talked a little bit about Cannular, that, that brand. Again, a great entry point to canning. The price point, you can't beat that price point. Mm-hmm. Under $500. Yeah. Again, cans, I think you get 200 and something cans and it was a couple hundred dollars. I think it was like a hundred and something with shipping. So just be mindful of shipping costs for cans. That's another thing to keep in mind because even if cans cost a hundred dollars for 200 cans, wherever you're located, that shipping cost could be 70 or $80. So just be mindful of shipping costs. So that's Mm -hmm. my little disclaimer out there to people who's looking to get into canning. Just when you're making your budget list or spreadsheet, like I did (laughs) of what the costs are going to be associated. And to be fair, October did give us a uh, discount for an honest review. So thank you for that. But again, we are doing a completely honest review here. So again, October can seamer. We got the SL1 with Splash Guard. Yeah. And so one of the things that drew me to this company's can seamer is their design. So this can seamer is beautiful. And when I mean beautiful, I mean not just aesthetically. <laughs> I mean from a functioning standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. So I like the motion, how the handle they have on this splash guard. So when you're lowering the splash guard, you're also lowering the arm, the chuck that basically the can will sit at. Mm-hmm. So basically by doing the motion with the handle of raising it up, you're raising the can up to put it into position. Yep. So then you're ready to seam. The second best thing out of box uh, for me was that they calibrate it for you before it comes to you um it's ready to go out of box and i know the other companies out there say that it's ready to go um but you know you see reviews out there that say the differ that that beg the differ that they had Mm -hmm. to do some calibrations and cutting cans open and make sure the seam is right and all this very technical stuff that if you're not tech savvy or you're not an engineer and Mm -hmm. you don't want to really get into all that you know i was really glad to see that october really did take the time to test out my machine before i got it it's made in the usa Um, we're talking to christian from misicott brewing and i'm also the same mindset of if i can do it i like to support local businesses when i can so out of box it was already assembled the assembly was super easy and it was comparable assembly wise to the cannular machine Um, you have to basically attach the arm that you're going to use that basically does the two different positions to seam it Um, and that's pretty much it and you plug it in Um, another difference the cannular you have to buy the power supply separate Um, again it's something that just a little bit of a nuisance yeah um but again it's still cheaper than the october so the only con so far i had with the october was its price point it will price point most home brewers out um just Mm -hmm. from the price point um unless they're planning to have it for a while or use it also if they're going to do a craft brewery so that's something to keep in mind is price so that would be the one Mm -hmm. thing I would say would be the difference for this, but they did get that feedback. So they have a can seamer out there. It's called the Benchmark and it's comparable price to the cannular machine. However, you have to basically, instead of using a power supply, you have to use a drill to basically use that spinning motion. So a manual option. Yeah. And silly me, we didn't talk about what a 
can't see more actually does. <laughs> so basically, this machine, what it will do is it will take your can, you'll put your beer in your can, you'll put the top on, you'll put it into this onto this machine, you'll lock it into place. And Shannon's laughing. James is I'm doing the motions. Doing emotions. I'm doing a visual for Shannon that no one else can see here. And that's why people yeah. are like, please give us video. <laughs> he's like doing like pantomime of how he's I'm actually miming, seem the I'm can. miming how you're seeming the can. And then basically you'll turn the power on. It'll start to spin the can round and round. And then there'll basically be these two metal rollers or two rollers that will then seam the can. So basically you go with the arm one way and it does the first part of the seam. And then you'll turn the seamer to the other end and it will basically crimp that top onto crimp. crimp. It'll basically give that seal right on the top of your can and then you're ready to go. You're yeah. done. Yeah. So again, easy peasy, easy peasy. And there is automatic ones out there now too, where there's no arm whatsoever. You can just watch, put your can on, lock it into place, hit a button and you're done. So yeah. cannular has an automatic version um, out there. It's called the cannular pro. A lot of people that we talked to have used that and have had no issues. And then we've talked to some people that have had issues, um, but that's, an automatic can seamer for under a thousand dollars, or it's right at a thousand dollars US, I think, um, at the time of this episode. Um, so again, it's comparable price that machine to the October mm -hmm. SL one, which is again about a thousand dollars with the splash guard, which is amazing. And so the splash guard designs are also different. The October one is basically a plexiglass or some kind of plexiglass material, very well made. Mm -hmm. And it's already, you can have it already on the machine, so you don't even have to worry about assembly, anything like that. Yep. Versus the cannular, it comes in a million pieces. It's got metal bolts you have to bolt in. And when you lift that up, we've heard that it splashes all that nice beer that <laughs> was on that splash guard onto your machine. So again, extra cleaning involved. My first go with this October can seamer, that splash guard did its job magnificently. Any runoff from that did not go all over the machine itself. It went down. It just went right onto my counter space that I had where I already had a drying mat um, on there ready to go. And it kept it contained. There was no splash anywhere. So definitely if you're looking mm -hmm. at a can seamer, get the splash guard with either whatever one you're yeah. going to use. We didn't have one for our cannular. And it was just a mess. We'd have to make sure we wiped off our cans really well before yep. we put it on the seamer. That usually was my job. And I will say in defense of the cannular, be, there is that assembly required because you are paying a lower price point. So just keep that in mind. For like the if splash guard. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. out of the box, it's it's ready to yeah. go. You're just screwing on the little But I'm saying if you want to have, if you want to be a little bit more economically conscious, like it's not going to come fully assembled. There's just... It's, I mean, well, it's pretty much fully assembled. You just have to yeah, the splash Attach card, though. The splash So I'm saying yes, they're not attaching the that for you, and yes. therefore they can keep the price lower because they're not right. paying to and have it's that. it's separate, right, exactly. Yes, attached exactly. for you. So just wanted good to... Good point, good point. ...say that that's probably why. And something that most homebrewers probably wouldn't think of, and I didn't think of this either at first, was just noise. How loud are these machines when they're on? Mm -hmm. And I think actually you mentioned it when you saw yeah. me using the October. You're like... Wait, you're using this? Like I it's said, it's so much quieter. I couldn't even hear you from... I could. I didn't... Usually when <laughs> I was upstairs in the kitchen, I knew James was canning beer because I could hear the... <laughs> that was like all I could hear. So I didn't even know that you had actually started using it because we wanted to make sure before we 
told you all about it, that we had actually physically done it. And I came, he was like, oh, can you come downstairs? And I came down and I was like, oh, you've been canning this whole time? He was like, yeah. I'm like, I could not even hear. I didn't even know you're, I mean, even yeah. standing there, there was barely noise. I mean, it was, there is noise associated. You can tell it's on. Yeah. However, it's significantly quieter, at least in our experience, than the cannula. Yes. Yes. And I think you were also surprised at how many cans I had already done in the yeah, amount of time. Cranking I was through them. Cranking through them. And part of that as well. So we're talking about the filling method. But real fast, I'll, con- I'll finish the October part and then I'll go to this other piece of equipment yes, to please. assist here. So SplashGuard Design A+, 10 out of 10 on the SplashGuard Design. The design of the machine as well, 10 out of 10. They really did a nice job with like the frame of this machine. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at how heavy it was. It was like but very it looks sturdy. Sleek. It's like, sleek. It looks like minimalistic. However, when you put it side by side with the cannula, it's it takes up about the same amount of space. Mm-hmm. Um, the cannula is kind of all in enclosed in like a, it looks like a rectangular box. Yeah. Uh, this one kind of has like a different kind of shape to the front. It's kind of curved in the front, yeah. which I, I feel like. like cause there's more like blank space. It feels yeah. smaller. Exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's got the motor on the back and then it's got this curved front and then the splash guard fits in perfectly to that curved mm-hmm. front. And I think that curved front also helps keep all that splashing within that area. Yeah. Because area. it's the centripetal forces keeping it. Look at you. Look at you. (laughs) I know science. Um, So slightly smaller footprint, I would say, um, than the cannula, but not by much. Great customer service. They answered Mm -hmm. every single one of my questions that I had regarding the machine. Again, in fairness to cannula, I never reached out to them for anything because, you know, I was Well, you kind of knew that you didn't want to go with them again just from the previous experience. Like, you just kind of knew, like, I want to upgrade I want to have something a little bit more. Yeah. And again, for me, I researched it almost to death where, you know, just the amount of good experiences to negative experience were almost like a 60-40. So it was high enough where I was like, at that price point, I'm not taking another risk. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not risking, you know, having it last a year and then be in the same situation again. Um, So, you know, again... um, you know, do your research, see what works for you, see what works for your budget, as we talked about earlier in the episode. So they had great customer service. So they, it was a 10 out of 10 on that. Higher price point. So I would give that a, like, I don't know, like a 7 out of 10. Yeah, it's I feel like... It's hard to say because you are getting the customer experience so you're getting your questions answered so you're getting that kind of but you don't have to pay for that you don't have to pay for like well, you, shouldn't, just... you shouldn't have to pay for that but certain com- companies out there yeah. outsource so many things that trying to get feedback back or answer questions or i'm in between getting this machine or that yeah. machine what one would you steer me towards i'm just saying like you don't have to it's not like oh you have to purchase the equipment and then you get customer service it's just it's an added value but it's not part of the price is what i'm saying trying to say yeah, so I would say the price, the reason why I say like 7 out of 10 or like that would be the like the one area that I could see a little bit of an improvement is just because more people should be using it from mm-hmm. my experience so far. And, you know, it is comparable out there. But again, for me, I was like, well, I kind of want it semi-automatic. I want to kind of have it. You want just, the in-between version. I want the in-between version or an automatic version that doesn't have to be, because the, they do mm-hmm. offer, October does offer a fully automatic machine, but that's like a $3,000 machine. It's meant really meant for the craft breweries out there. Yeah. Um, so as a home brewer, that's just not something that I wanted to get into. But 
uh, of course, you want to have push of a button to increase speed. Um, but I think the price point is reasonable. It's a reasonable ask. It's just going to price a lot mm-hmm. of home brewers out of that machine, which is, again, I think they address that with having that benchmark yeah. machine. But for me, I wouldn't want to have to power up a drill, like yeah. put a drill on top and then basically occupy one of my arms mm-hmm. to make the drill go for that period of time. Um, again, yeah, it just it's personal, personal choice, preference. I think. And I, but I feel like the pricing on it, from my standpoint, was it a little bit more than I wish you had spent? Probably. But I think in the long run, the effort that it takes to operate and the like the speed at which you were canning today was is gonna like basically be worth it in value because you'll be using it more often. Time is money, folks. And yeah, so I, I just think like it'll it's not gonna pay for itself because obviously you still have to purchase cans. Like it will be it gonna be like a sunk cost but i think that the amount like you'll be more apt to use it and it won't take you as long to use it than it did with the cannula so i feel like that will make up for the higher price point in the end if that makes sense and in fairness too to the cannula their cannula pro like i've seen videos of people cranking those things out super fast too so again we're just comparing this to our previous experience Mm -hmm. with the manual that we had before and just kind of our experience not necessarily as a whole although i guess i can't like i i, I feel like there's not, not really a control right now because a control factor that is because you also got a duo filler and that is also i feel like increasing the speed at which you're canning so i don't know maybe i guess if you didn't have that if you tried your previous method of filling from the tap to see how fast that went then maybe it would be the same speed as the cannula. So then to be fair, here's what I would say. The operation of just being able to like raise or lower to basically raise the can and Mm -hmm. also have that splash guard come up where you're not also flicking down a flash, you know, your splash guard. Um, Just the simple simplicity. I barely had to put any kind of pressure. The ease of of doing this lever going to make these seams was almost like putting the little, what do you call it for a record player when you're just putting the little arm, the little arm down to get the record to play. It was like that easy. It was just like touch the needle on the record. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. Um, So, with that, with that in mind, go into your, you also got a duo filler as I spoiled. Sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. So I think our review of the October SL1 would be, it's a great machine. It's a great middle point machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're potentially might open a small craft brewery, like you could easily yeah. have an employee use that. Exactly. And not have any issues. Um, I would say nine out of 10. Again, the only knock on it was the price. Okay. At least so far. So far. So we'll, only revisit, ha- yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll revisit this as I do more canning runs. I've only done a couple canning runs on it so far. So when we get more data on that, we'll come back yeah, to you. for sure. So the can, Duo Can Easy is something that's becoming more and more popular. Um, I've seen it explode on Instagram like by yeah. homebrewers out there because I think a lot of homebrewers like me are looking to simplify the packaging process, mm-hmm. um, speed up the process, while also um, having the ability to use it in your craft brewery. So we mentioned Pratt a lot now because they're a great <laughs> example of yeah. home brewers that have then opened a craft brewery that are using, still able to use their equipment and finding ways of using equipment that fits them and not having to break the bank necessarily. Yeah. So basically for those who don't know, a duo filler is a machine, is a little machine. I'd say it's probably what, like eight inches? No, nine inches tall. It's not super 
tall. It's not really big, but you can mount it to something and hook it right up to your tap lines to your keg and also your CO2. And so it'll actually put the cans in. Now I'm going to mime how it works to James. Here we go. <laughs> There's these little uh, like metal faucet, like well, not faucets, but like metal like tubes that yeah, come like down. Straws, metal yeah, it looks like metal straws. Stainless straws. And you... There's two little bases that the cans can sit on. You put two cans in. It's automated, so it'll purge the can with CO2 first, and then you calibrate it to fill however much liquid you want it to fill, and it automatically will stop at that time, and then you can take it off and seam it up. So that's just a little how a duo filler works. Yeah, so um, they also have a mono filler, which is only it comes with a single instead of a double. Um, that was sold out at the time um, when I was looking at these, and I also find the value in able to you can either have it go off the same keg or you can have each side yeah. going from two different kegs Dual so if you had purpose. two different uh, beers that you needed to get out you could easily do mm-hmm. that on one go so it's a semi-automatic can filler and basically it purges and fills the cans to be the same consistent level via it has two different modes it has a timed mode and it has a sensor fill mode um, so again when you get it out of the box there's some Assembly required. You can look at that assembly video that we have on our Instagram at Double Hoppy mm-hmm. Podcast. Uh, and then once it's assembled, you basically just have to program it. So first, it gives you the steps electronically to kind of program this machine. And basically, you're programming each individual side um, for both sensor and time. So basically, mm-hmm. there's four programming you have to do um, in total. And again, it's pushing the buttons a certain amount of seconds to get to the different modes. And a, and basically, it's a one push to stop, yep. start and stop. So that was a little confusing at first. I'm not going to lie. The instructions online yeah. seemed clear until you're actually doing it for the first time. And it's like, okay, hold this for four to five seconds. Let go. You should now see a straight green line that green circle on your button then it should be a blue and that should be this and i was just not it was not correlating to what i was seeing so either i was holding the buttons too long or too short i don't know but Mm -hmm. it was just getting so confusing where i'm like all right let's look at what colors so they have a green steady which is for your timer mode and they had the solid blue for your sensor mode so that means you're in that mode and then from those Mm -hmm. colors a flashing green is how you get to program the timer mode and the flashing blue is how you get to program your sensor mode. So once I learned that after holding it for like, <laughs> all right, I'm holding it for two seconds. What's it going to do? All right, four seconds. What's it doing? Now I'm going to hold it for 10 seconds. And 10 seconds seemed to be the lucky number for me to get it to go from one thing to the other, which wasn't anywhere in the instructions. But for me, I'm like, that worked. So I was able to get it to where their instructions lined up, where the blinking green, then basically what you'll do is you'll put your can under there. You'll press the button. Once it gets to that fill level you like, you hit the button again, and then you have to go hold down the button for four to five seconds to get it back to the regular mode, and you're good to go. Once you program it, you mm-hmm. don't have to program, program okay. it again. Yeah. Um, but you're really programming it three times for each side because you're going to program the timer in sensor mode first with just water. And then of course, beer is going to react differently. So yep. you, when you first hook up your keg of your beer, your first couple cans, you're going to want to dial in that mm-hmm. um, programming. But once you have that down, it was so simple to use. And I was flying through cans. It was filling them yep. beautifully again. And my big concern with this piece of equipment was going to be 
man, just one more thing I have to clean at the end of this. Like, how am I going to clear the, all that beer um, liquid out of the lines? Because basically it comes with the tubing mm-hmm. that basically connects to your keg and goes up through the machine. I'm like, this is going to be a pain in the butt to clean. <laughs> and then, you know, it was like, you know what? If you just have a keg filled with sanitizer and water, you can then just change out your black connection that you have for your inlet of your keg and you mm-hmm. can change it to the CO2 fitting. Put it the CO2 from that keg will then push all that liquid out of those lines so you won't have any liquid sitting in those lines afterwards. So after you run your sanitizer through it, yep. you're then able to use the carbonation that's already in that keg to basically force all that liquid out, which is awesome. So cleaning, amazing, simple, awesome. easy, takes two seconds and didn't have to take any tubing apart. Um, it was awesome. Um, 10 out of 10 on that. Like okay. the cleaning <laughs> was just amazing with that. Good. And again, you'd have to press the button to start the machine, basically pretending like you're yeah, going like to fill a can, but and it'll just shoot all the liquid out. So that's where having that sink, having that basically that yeah. setup was huge to the success of this packaging that I did for yeah. both the machine, the October machine, as well as this piece of equipment. Well, I think it was good to see when you used it too that there is some runoff of the beer when you're filling from the duo filler. So having something underneath to catch all that is essential, basically. Yeah, it's unless, essential, absolutely. Unless you have a brew space where you have a floor drain and can just squeegee it all in, but that sounds very sticky. But having you know a bucket or if you can do it over a sink, which you've mounted it to the pegboard behind the sink of the setup that you just got. So it just literally will drain into the sink every time. And I think that's really going to be essential to keeping it an easy cleanup too, because you just empty the sink out. Yeah. I initially just had it mounted directly to the pegboard. So the first picture you'll see on our Instagram just has it mounted directly to that. And then I was really not happy with like, if it did have a lot of runoff, it would splash off the back. Of, it was also crooked. It was also crooked because <laughs> it was bothering the me. pegboard was the bolt, the holes in the pegboard were a little off. They yep. weren't like, Certain, they like, didn't match up with they the, didn't match up, yeah, the length. Uh, so I wasn't happy with it. And I saw a lot of people who had that duo filler machine use TV mounts because the machine, the whoever invented mm-hmm. it, was brilliant enough to know that the Vesa 100 TV mount brackets work on the back of this. Yeah, so went on Amazon, got a nice $16 US uh, TV mount, yep, works perfectly. And then I'm able to bring okay. it out, I'm able to move it from one side to the other if I needed to. It works amazing. So again, some cons with this machine. We haven't seen it personally, but when reaching out to many homebrewers out there and looking at the forums and basically they have a Facebook page for users of this, a lot of complaints seem to be that there's a lot of foam in the cans. Mm -hmm. They're wasting a lot of beer um, is the number one issue I've seen um, reported with it. Um, We did have that same issue at first when we had it in sensor mode. Not really sure why, but again, it was maybe filling the can. It was a full can. It looks like a full can, but when you basically take your hands and you feel the can, it's super light. And it's like, well, that's not a full can. can It was half filled with foam. So then when I switched to timer mode, that problem went away 100%. Again, once I dialed it in, I was Mm -hmm. not, I was getting full beers each time. So I don't know how much is user error, how much is actually just based on the beer that you're doing, the pressure that's in your keg. So I kept my keg pressure at 14 and then had basically my CO2 ready to go. One other thing I want to talk about for setup wise that was recipe for success with this machine is I got a dual regulator to go on my CO2 tank, which would allow me to hook up the CO2 line, which is not included with this dual filler. So that was my big con with this machine. Again, tubing, it was $3 worth Mm -hmm. of tubing. But if you're 
spending money for a machine like this and they give you the the beer lines, they give you the connection, (laughs) they give you everything. You want it to be ready out of the box. So I would give that CO2 line included with it. I understand they're like, well... People probably have that tubing sitting around. Yeah, but if it's only $3, just throw it in there. So some people use the standard CO2 fitting. Others switch out the tubing. So that's probably why they did it. But I would include include the tubing. So basically, the dual regulator allowed me to basically hook up my keg that I was going to be using for this machine, set the pressure to 14 and a half or 14. So then that's what the recommended PSI is for uh, this duo filler. And then the other regulator, the other dial on the regulator, for the dual regulator, was just for the CO2. They want a constant of two PSI pressure to make it for your purging line. Mm -hmm. So I was able to use both all that and keep it all underneath my stainless top where I have basically this canning station set up. So that really allows me to dial in, don't have to worry about kind of dragging it from my kegerator or um, keeping everything in place. So that's a huge tip to have if you're Plant a can, just have a little designated area for canning. Um, it will make a world of difference, save you time and cleaning mm-hmm. and effort. The only other issue that I've seen with this machine is that there's a solenoid issue where it might, the basically when you hit the button, it might keep the line open or it might not open at all. Um, and then people have had to take basically the back off this machine, basically take the little tubing out from that solenoid and basically put it back in, which is a pain in the neck. If you have it mounted somewhere, you don't want to have to do unscrew all those, especially if you're a craft brewery and you're using this machine and you're doing your canning run. You don't want to have to stop Mm mid-run to try and unscrew this to solve that issue. So hopefully, knock on wood, we do not get this issue, but we will report back if we do end up getting this issue. But um, on the good side of that, um, it seems the company is very responsive and will take care of you and basically set... Make sure you get what you need to make sure the machine's running um, if that's the issue. So that's good to hear as well that they're not just ignoring the problem. Um, And again, haven't had that problem. We can't speak to that. But yeah, all in all, this machine also gets a 9 out of 10. Okay. Again, the one knock on it was the programming. The instructions could be a little bit clearer. And two, um, what's included. They they could include... um, the CO2 line. CO2 line. Yep. Again, very minor, um, but again, something to note. Um, nothing's perfect. Uh, nothing's. I hate giving <laughs> ratings and numbers. I would never, you know, rate a beer just because it's all based on your own perception and what you like as an individual. So this is my kind of. If I had to give numbers um, yep. personally, what my numbers would be. Not necessarily speaking to what the machine or equipment actually is, mm-hmm. but both items made a world of difference in my canning day. Much more pleasant experience. It wasn't a hassle. It just made it just so much that much easier. So I'm really glad I picked up those two equipment. So thank you to October Design mm-hmm. and also for Duo Filler. Okay, well, I hope that that gave you all some insight if you're looking in to start packaging your beer or if you currently are packaging and thinking about maybe getting one of these pieces of equipment. I hope that helps aid in your decision. And I, again, I apologize to those listening that might not be looking into either of those pieces of equipment. And that was a lot of talk, technical talk about those two pieces of equipment. But I know uh, many homebrewers out there are exploring either purchasing these items or getting them. But you might know someone if you're not personally looking into it. You might know someone who's looking into it. And and they can listen to this one. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Information that's valuable. And we're always here um, also to answer questions or if you have any uh, further, you know, if you have any further questions, we're always happy to 
answer those for you and give our feedback to you uh, on our Instagram page. Shoot us a DM yep. at Double Hoppy Podcast. Yes, and while you're over there, head on over to our link tree and check out our merch. Merch. We have so much good merch, and thank you to all those listeners out there that really were pushing for us to get merch. We're, we're going to try and get some new ones out there, but, you know, let's get some more merch out there. <laughs> okay. let's, let's expand this podcast nation. Let's get uh, the pulse of brewing in breweries and across the world. So we're glad to see some in UK and um, internationally. So thank you those who have supported our show by purchasing the merch. And yep. also make sure you also support our Brew Another Day initiative. Uh, it's near and dear to our hearts, losing a family member this past year um, to cancer and cancer just sucks. Um, so please support uh, the American Cancer Society because proceeds um, from those Brew Another Day initiative merch will go to help others battling that terrible, yeah. terrible uh, disease. Yeah. yeah. So head on over and check that out. And we thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Double Hop Beat. If you are a home brewer and want to come on and share your story, send us a direct message on Instagram at Double Hop Beat Podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe because that's how we find new listeners just like you. Or we don't, but all those AI the algorithms, the algorithms out there uh, rely heavily on those metrics. Yeah, so we'd appreciate it if you would do that. And this has been, been Double Hop Beat. Catch, Catch you on, on the, the brew side. side.